Fuckers, I'm here doing that Tuesday thing and bringing in episode number 78. It's going to be a good one for sure. I've got artist and good friend Jeff Gaither on standby to co-host part of the show with me. So that's going to be fucking killer. Uh, CK will also be doing some extra duty tonight. He's going to be in multiple segments since Chris is still on special assignment it will not be here tonight, so it's just me right now, uh, but uh, we'll be joined by Gaither and then CK uh, after that, so uh, have no fear. It should be a good show. Uh, how about that audio clip of Sis- uh, Christopher St. Booth at the beginning? Uh, if you're not familiar with Christopher, he's part of uh, Spook TV. Uh, the Booth brothers do a lot of paranormal stuff, and we did an interview with him at the uh, recent dark history and horror convention and it was it was really cool he's a very interesting guy uh got a five minute piece of it we're going to play later in the mayhem segment um so those guys are really cool and christopher was super nice and uh, he's the guy that i got the uh the exorcism kit from so it is permanently now part of horns high studios uh, and it sits on a glass shelf next to the Dominus mask, the Venom black metal mask we got from Sick Rick. So definitely some fucking evil shit going on in here. Now, last week was Kick-Ass, uh, did a feature on Fred and Rosemary West, uh, the murdering sadists from the UK. And I had the band Blood Feud in here along with Bonesaw from 49 Records. It was definitely a good time. (laughs) It was pretty hilarious. One of the guys in Blood Feud had a few too many adult beverages and actually passed out in the gray room, which is the room right next door to the studio where we have bands play when they're here uh, playing. And so he passed out in there while we were doing the episode. He wound up coming back into the studio and was like slumped over, took his picture, put it on Facebook. He was a good sport about it, but it was pretty funny. But I got to say, I mean, he was very quiet about it, um, didn't disrupt the show at all. Uh, so it was kind of a funny, uh, funny thing that happened. So we had a lot of laughs. Plus, we had CK to share some metal knowledge on the band Obituary, which was fucking wicked. Plus all the usual craziness, killer cage match, uh, part of the interview that I did with Tony Campagna of Spellbound Effects and Art and much more. And we had over a thousand listens to that show already. So uh, thanks to everybody that checked it out. And if you missed it, go check out number 77. It was a good one. Now... 
Tonight, we're going to be throwing down with a feature on the fucking Hillside Stranglers. Definitely two very fucked up individuals did some really terrible things to young women in the 1970s, which some people refer to as the golden age of the serial killer. Um, And I'm going to have Jeff Gaither with me on uh, Messenger to toss that one around. Now, I've known Jeff for almost 20 years now since my days in low 12 and heavy core Uh, he did many of the album covers uh, back in those days he's an incredible talent he also did the logo for murder metal mayhem so i thought it would be fun to get him to talk in the murder segment so you definitely don't want to miss this uh, I've also got a piece of an interview that I did with Steven Giangelo uh, f- at the Dark History Convention. He's a college professor on serial murder and has written a book on the subject, and he weighs in on the Hillside Stranglers with me. So it's about a two-minute clip. We'll play that during the murder segment since it's appropriate to the subject. Uh, We also, of course, have a new Killer Cage match to get to tonight. Thanks to listeners Dan Cyrus, Samantha Reinhart, and Holly Joe Ziegler for providing the random numbers this time. Got a good one going on in the cage tonight. We have the shoe fetish slayer himself. That's Jerry Brudos going up against the ex-Marine gone sadistic killer Charles Eng. They're going to be fighting with two objects and a variable that will definitely be fun to discuss with CK in the Mayhem segment. So speaking of CK, of course, he's going to be calling in um, also on Messenger to uh, deal his weekly dose of metal. But this time he's going to go hardcore talking about New York hardcore icons agnostic front. So that should be badass. Uh, CK will stay on through the Mayhem segment and the outro since, again, Chris is not here this week. Uh, He's up for the challenge, though. CK's ready, and he should be a beast once again. Um, Also, huge, huge thanks to our new sponsor, SpellboundEffectsAndArt.com. You guys heard the clip from the interview I did last week with Tony Campagno, uh, or Campagna, I'm sorry, uh, last week. He's been busy creating some serious sickness down there in Florida. Now, he's the guy who made us the amazing severed forearm with murder metal mayhem carved into it. Um, he's got more stuff coming our way to help decorate Horns High Studios in gruesome fashion. He says he wants to be our interior designer, and I'm like, fuck yeah. Because Tony is fucking amazing. Uh, The full interview with Tony will be posted next week as bonus content. And bands, you definitely want to listen to that. Because Tony is going to give away one of his severed forearms with your logo on it. How fucking sick is that? He's got a contest where we'll reveal it in the full interview next week. But you definitely... Definitely don't want to miss it. And he's also got some cool runner-up prizes. Um, He's got, I think, a severed foot or hand, I think, and um, uh, some thumb drives. He's got some cool stuff. Definitely well worth 
checking out. So if you've got somebody on your Christmas list um, that definitely likes the dark and dreadful, disturbing stuff, go check out Spellbound Effects and Art.com. Tony and his wife now are devoted listeners of Murder Metal Mayhem. So show some support, support the indie artists like Tony, and go to SpellboundEffectsAndArt.com. Also tonight, we got the guys from Killers Need Hugs 2 to buy a last-minute ad on the show. So support those guys as well. And uh, the Murder Metal Mayhem book that we're putting the finishing touches on, which is called The Coffee Table Book That Should Be Nowhere Near a Coffee Table. It's nearly done, and I'll have an update on that. We're going to be taking advanced orders for that real soon, and you definitely don't want to miss it. A huge thanks to all of you guys out there listening. We really appreciate it. We continue to see the numbers roll in and the show expand into new cities all over the world. So thank you guys for spreading the word like a case of the clap at a trailer park. Uh, also wanted to give a shout out to the guy uh, that I ran into. This was so funny over in PetSmart in Bloomington, Illinois over the weekend. Uh, he recognized me. I had my uh, Murder Metal Mayhem hoodie on. He came over, recognized me, complimented uh, the podcast, which is nice. Uh, he ge- he asked me to give him an autograph, but all he had on him was a bag of dog food. So I got a felt tip fe- pen from one of the employees and signed the dog food bag for him. So that was the first. I have signed some very interesting things over my years uh, playing in low 12 and, and doing heavy core, I've signed tampons, I've signed drumsticks, uh, someone's kitchen table one time, a refrigerator at somebody's house, uh, body parts, I'll leave it there, and lots more. So a bag of dog food was definitely a first. So thanks for the support, brother. I really appreciate that. It was very, very nice to, to hear you digging the show so much. So we got a lot of shit on our plate tonight. It's time to go to sunny Los Angeles in the 1970s before we heard about stranger danger and when your mom warned you not to get into cars with people you don't know. Time for the hillside stranglers, these sleazy bastards. I'll be calling Jeff Gaither, and together we're going to get our fucking murder on. All right, we are in the murder segment now. I'm going to be talking about the Hillside Stranglers, who are a duo of cousins that dealt some serious sadism and killed 12 women ages 12 to 28 in 1977 and 1978. The story is one of the most fucked up ones we've covered. It's going to be a good, sick-ass ride into the dark and dreadful. We've got artist Jeff Gaither, speaking of dark and dreadful, we got Jeff with us on Messenger. Thanks, Jeff, for wanting to do this, man. It's uh, it's good to have you on. How you been? Uh, pretty good so far. You know, life as usual, ups and downs. Yeah, you still over there in Louisville? Yep, been here for uh, all my life, actually. 
That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Well, definitely good to have you on. I know you're a true crime nut like me, and you definitely dig on serial killers. Um, and you've got a very impressive collection. I remember when I was at your house many moons ago, you had some good murderbilia stuff. You want to give our listeners just a little taste of some of the cool shit you got there? Well, let's see. I've got a uh, tombstone rubbing of Ed Gein. I've got a, unfortunately, I can't, I'm not going to say how I got it, but I've got a small section of the the headstone. Oh, that's right. Uh, <laughs> I've got uh, a, uh, a nail from Spawn Ranch. Uh, let's see. I've got a couple of other things, but I've got them packed up, so I can't even really remember what the fuck they are. And you remember, I got, got a bunch of shit. I got you some dirt from Gacy's house too. So. Oh yeah, I got a large collection of dirt. You yeah, see, uh, Gacy dirt. And, <laughs> I know that sounds sort of strange have, collecting dirt, but you no, know, no, no, not I've at got all. Dirt, dirt from graves and uh, from where killings have happened and stuff like that. That's awesome, man. Well, we're all into weird shit like that. So you're among friends here, Jeff. So it's okay. Now we're going to cool. we're going to talk about the Hillside Stranglers tonight. Uh, that nickname came from the fact the bodies were found on hillsides in the area surrounding the city of Los Angeles, as I said in '77 and '78. Originally, though, it was believed to be one person, but then as the details became known, the police realized there was actually two men doing the crimes, and the media changed the nickname to the plural Hillside Stranglers. So. Uh, Jeff, uh, you said you weren't really familiar with this case, uh, but many of the sordid details sound like a lot of the serial murderers that we've all heard of. You know, they preyed on originally on prostitutes. Um, you know, they killed their victims in one place, disposed of them in another. And we've just heard this kind of stuff, you know, so many times before with a lot of the other ones that we what we all follow. Yep, and uh, the only thing a little bit different, I think, is they injected one of their victims with, like, uh, Windex and yeah, gasoline. that was fucked I mean, up. Damn. <laughs> that's major. just gruesome, man. I wonder where they came up yeah. with that, you know. That's yeah, just weird. Yeah, they sitting around the table playing cards, and let's just inject one of them with Windex and right? see what happens. Yeah, that's just <laughs> fucked up. I mean, of all the things, you know, that's just really strange. Now, you've got a very interesting story, Jeff, about what got you into true crime. I remember when I did an interview with you when we first started doing the podcast. Wasn't there a murder in your own family that you talked about back then? Yeah, it, it happened. It didn't really get me into true crime, and it, it makes me, you know, true crime, people get murdered. And, and if you're like me, I like the, the serial killers and stuff. But this is like help makes you want to think about the uh, the victim too, and uh, oh yeah, it's like yeah, it's like my mom. Well, let's go this way. Uh, my mom and dad got divorced, and uh, I had uh, there was the first uh, visitation with my dad, and then of course I went with him. We went, we went somewhere, and when we were coming back, and he said, "This is the last time I'm going to see you," and I'm like, "Mom, well, how come?" I was real young. And he said, uh, this is the last time I'm going to see you. And he pulls up in the driveway. And uh, he, right before I get out of the car, I see him pulling a shovel handle up. And so I'm like, what the fuck? Wow. And I go in the house and I tell my mom, and she's trying to lock the door and everything, but he busts in anyways. And he's got a shovel. And he starts beating her up 
beats my aunt up and ends up almost killing my mom. And there's like blood all over the living room, hallway, bathroom. Uh, my aunt died like two months later from being uh, an aneurysm, which I think being hit in the head several times, that yeah. sort of helped it long, you know. Well, sure. And, wow. uh, and then my neighbor, next, he got out for basically free. He had uh, had to stay in Kentucky or Louisville for five years. He didn't go to jail or nothing. But oh like right God. after it happened, he he come over to my neighbor's house and was like, "You want me to take the kids? Like, you know, we're gonna go buy McDonald's or something." <laughs> what the fuck? I'm like, well, what the hell?" Right? Wow, that's just insane. But I couldn't even imagine seeing that as a kid. Definitely, I'm sure had some effect on you and. Uh, like you know, all of us, we've we've had different things that have gotten us interested in the dark and the macabre and and music, whether it be in your case art, um, you know. And sometimes it's kind of helped us through some rough times. I know that's what you've told me about your own work, you know. So, uh, you know, it's somewhat therapeutic to do it, you know. I guess. I mean, I've been doing my art for a long time, so I I don't know if that had anything to do with it. But, uh, you know, I've been drawing the way I've been drawing for over 30-something years. Right. Maybe longer than that. Right. <laughs> I don't know. Right. Uh, now, these guys... I mean, I'm like... Uh, go ahead. Oh, these guys were convicted of the crimes, and they were actually cousins, which is crazy. Uh, I guess they wanted to just keep it in the family. Um, uh, the fact that they were both Italian, though, pains me a bit with my Italian last name. Uh, but later, uh, I've got a two-minute clip uh, from true crime author and college professor Stephen Gianangelo, uh, who talks about our shared Italian heritage and an interesting angle on this case. So um, now Kenneth Bianchi, he was the younger of the two. Uh, he's born in 1951 in Rochester, New York, to an alcoholic prostitute of a mother who gave him up for adoption. So that was good. Um, he was adopted that year by Nicholas and Francis Bianchi. Uh, Francis was the aunt of the other half of the Hillside Stranglers. Uh, so they were not actually blood related, but they were cousins. Now, Kenneth is known as a compulsive liar, um, and he would, you know, that uh, would hang over his head even still today. Uh, he still refuses to admit he was even part of the murders. He's definitely all over the place. Now, Jeff, I'm not sure if I've ever heard of two cousins doing this serial murder like this. What about you? Uh, no, but what made me think of was Gacy. Gacy, he uh, basically, you know, was saying that he didn't do anything. He didn't murder anybody. That's what, you know. Oh, sure. Made me think of, you know. But no, I haven't heard of any anybody that was cousins yeah, it's or just, related. Well, I know that Henry Lee Lucas was, um, was related in a distant way, but blood related to another serial killer. Uh, that we did in Florida, uh, the name escapes me at the moment, but they weren't killing together. But these two were actually, you know, hand Otis? in hand. No, it wasn't Otis. It was, um, oh, it'll it'll probably come to me later. He was executed not that long ago, but they were wow. distant cousins. Yeah. Um, and definitely. That's the first I heard of that. Yeah, it was, uh, it was I'd never heard of it either, but uh, they were related. But this was a little bit after 
uh, Henry Lucas uh, was doing his thing. Now All in the family. Yeah, I guess. Now, Bianchi <laughs> um, was known to have strange episodes as a young boy where he would stare off and his eyes would roll back in his head. Doctors said that he suffered from grand mal seizures. Uh, he had a lot of behavior issues as a child and was also diagnosed as having a passive-aggressive personality disorder. Now, Jeff, this sounds like some issues here might have played a part on what he did later on. You know, we talk about these serial killers with head injuries. Here we got a guy having grand mal seizures. I think there's probably something there. What do you think? Uh, it's a possibility, but I think a lot of them was just uh, born that way. I mean, you know. Yeah. They, they didn't grow up as to be a serial killer. They were when they were born, you know what I mean? Because yeah. I've got seizures and I'm not killing anybody. True, true. Yeah, I think a lot of that stuff, I, I think you're right. I think some of it is they're born with that, and I think some of it is the environment that they're in encourages it, you know. So it's hard to say what that perfect storm is, but these guys definitely had it. Now, uh, he's got an above-average IQ of 116, but he was an underachiever. Um, and there was a crime involving two young children uh, known as the Alphabet Murders when he was very young. Um, and the an autopsy found that the kids had been sexually assaulted and strangled. Uh, they both had ice cream in their stomachs, and Bianchi was actually working in an ice cream shop as a teenager, and he was never formally investigated, but definitely very suspicious knowing his actions uh, years later. Um, Jeff, definitely sounds like it could have been him, uh, you know, just trying to kind of learn his uh, his craft, so to speak. That's a possibility. I believe the alphabet killers, too, or killer, or killers, whatever it happened to be, the towns were... Uh the same initials too that i girls think you're right in. i think you're right it was a very odd thing with the with the initials and the towns yeah it was very strange uh i if i'd have had more time i would have dug a little deeper into it because it did sound interesting now uh bianchi winds up dropping out uh gets a job as a security guard where he's caught stealing several times uh, when his adopted father died bianchi wound up moving out to la when his mom was just not able to really deal with him um, he moves to L.A. to be with his older cousin, almost 20 years older, Angelo Bono. Uh, this dude looks like he's right out of central casting as a sleazy piece of shit Italian Guido. Now, as an Italian, that sickens me a bit. But, you know, his dude just looked like a sleazebag. Um, born in Rochester, New York, moved to L.A. later on. Uh, Self-described as a ladies' man, ran a thriving business doing upholstery work in cars. Uh, on one of the docs that I watched, he had done work in Frank Sinatra's car, uh, also a member of the Supremes, among others. So he definitely was doing some high-end work in this shop behind his house. So, Jeff, this guy sounds like a real piece of work, thinks he's a big ladies' man, um, and definitely got some you know fucked-up shit going on in his head. Um, it just sounds like the two of them together, just kind of like gas on a fire. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, I can't imagine these two coming up with anything positive. Sounds like they both, you know, were kind of feeding off each other. Now, he moves in with Bono in 1977. Uh, Bono impresses him with fancy cars, nice clothes, attractive women, 
Uh, Bono would claim that he could put any woman in her place, he said. And Bianchi liked the whole persona (laughs) of his older cousin. Um, Bianchi had always dreamed of being a police officer and applied with the L.A. Police Department um, at this time and even had done some ride-alongs with the police while they searched for the Hillside Strangler, which is really fucked up. Um, he would use this experience later when he would pick up victims and act like a cop. And Jeff, this one kind of reminds me of Ed Kemper, where he was kind of buddy buddy with the cops while they were, you know, investigating. I know Gacy was was also real buddy buddy with cops. I'm not quite sure what the deal is with that. I don't know either, but I know that uh, quite a few of them are have high IQs. I think Ed, Ed Kemper's was way up there. Oh, yeah. He's an extremely smart guy. Yeah, it's really strange. It's just too bad. You know, they can't put it to good use instead of uh, the you know stuff they were doing, you know. Well, he does now, Ed Kemper, even though it's off subject. He did he did put it to use, sort of, because oh, now those, he reads books. Yeah, those audio um, you know, books. Yeah, audio books. Yeah, it's strange. amazing, isn't it? Now, be- yeah. before long, these two start working together as pimps. But this would later turn even worse and become the launching point for their murders. Uh, They would use fake badges to make women believe they were cops. And both were good at talking with women, um, especially the suave and sleazy Angelo Bono. Uh, Jeff, definitely a good way to lure women into the car, uh, you know, with prostitutes um, like Gary Ridgway, Arthur Shawcross, Richard Cottingham. Uh, these guys made their bones killing prostitutes. It just seems to be easy prey. That happens to be a fact with most of them. Yeah. I mean, they're kind of like unpeople, I think I had heard described somewhere, where they're not really accounted for because, you know, kind of nobody cares about them. It's sad, but unfortunately the true. Underbelly. Yeah. Now, their first victim was Yolanda Washington, a prostitute who they convinced Uh, that they were cops. They handcuffed her, put her in a car, and strangled her. This was their first crime, so they were trying to find their way with this one. Apparently, she was killed in the car, so it wasn't like the other victims who were taken to Bono's house to be tortured, raped, and strangled. Uh, Her body was found along a hillside naked. This would be the first of 10 murders uh, the two would commit uh, from October 77 to February of 78. So very short, you know, just a few months. Um, The details of these other murders after Yolanda Washington would be very much the same. They would get the victim into their car, take them to Bono's house. Again, tortured, raped, strangled. All the victims had ligature marks on their wrists and ankles so the police could see a pattern and knew it was definitely a pair working together. Now, Jeff, sounds like these two had a pretty good system, um, and they did this for a very short period of time. I mean, that's like two women a month. That's that's a lot. That's like berserker mode there. Yeah, I think uh, Bono, is that the correct way to pronounce his name? Bono? Yeah, Bono. Yeah, Bono, I think he was the brains of the operation. Yeah, I think so, too. Because once they separated, they they basically caught him because the other one fucked up. (laughs) Right, that's true, that's true. Um, Now, the methods of torture were fucked up. You mentioned this. One of the victims was given electric shock uh, to her hands. Another was injected with Windex and then gasoline, which is fucking awful. 
uh, they're experimenting and like you said, probably just sitting there dreaming up these crazy ideas and, and things they could do to these poor victims and eventually would put a plastic bag over their head to suffocate them. It's just really awful. Um, now, one of their crimes was botched. Um, ironically, I thought this is crazy. They picked up Catherine Laurie, uh, the daughter of famous actor Peter Laurie. Uh, once they realized who she was related to, they decided to let her go, which is definitely, you know, for her, a good a thing. Mistake. Yeah. Well, sure, because <laughs> uh, she was able to help, uh, you know, tell them that there were two and describe them in the car. Um, but how fucked up is that, Jeff? I mean, to pick up a, a, a the daughter of a famous actor uh, when you're trying to be, you know, inconspicuous. It's fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> no other word for it. That's true. Now, this would have been at a time when the police uh, work, you know, they're not even using computers yet. There's no DNA. So they've got some fingerprints uh, from a payphone that Bianchi used, but were not able to find out the identity. Um, they also had a tip from a woman who knew Bianchi and said he could have been the killer. But of course, they're getting flooded with tips, so it's it's easy to say that now. But you know, they're just getting inundated with people saying, you know, oh, my neighbor is or my boss is or whatever. Um, now, the last victim found in the trunk of her car. Uh, was found by a police officer near Cliff on the Angeles Crest Highway. And after this murder, the crimes just come to an abrupt stop. Um, I read that once Bianchi told Bono that he was doing the ride-alongs with the police and that they were questioning him about the murders. Um, Bono went into a rage and threatened to kill him. Uh, probably not the smartest thing to admit to. Uh, Bono told him to get out of his life in the Los Angeles area and move out of state. So Bianchi goes to Bellingham, Washington. So, Jeff, 10 murders in five months with these two. Just an incredible body count in such a short span of time. Very just, true. I mean, that's a lot of people in a short period of time. And like you said, I think Bono being the brains of the operation, they could have got away with a lot more had Bianchi not, you know, gotten sloppy, you know. There's a killing tradition in the family. Again, apparently. Now, it wasn't long after Bianchi's in Washington that he finds himself back to his killing ways, comes up with a pretty good plan to lure a woman and her friend away. Uh, he said he needs them for a house-sitting job. Once he gets them into the house, this is crazy. He takes one at a time down to the basement. He shoves them down the stairs and strangles them, and it's not long before the police catch him. Uh, Bianchi probably uh, would have gotten caught faster in Los Angeles, um, but like you said, I think Bono was the, ones that, uh, the one that was able to keep him from getting captured. Um, but doesn't look, Jeff, like Bianchi was very smart at covering up his tracks. No, and to go backwards a little bit, I heard that Bono is the one that actually raped him, and Bianchi is the one that actually killed him, would strangle him while they were being raped. Yeah, I think I, I had heard that too, uh, that they worked in tandem like that. So that was just fucking awful, man. Jesus. Just crazy shit. I mean, it's just like stuff you'd see like in a horror film that these guys are actually living out. Uh, very disturbing, to say the least. Um, I wonder if they laughed when they did that. <laughs> I wouldn't doubt it, man. I mean, these two, I would put nothing past them. I mean, they're just fucked up individuals, that's for sure. 
Um, now, while he's in police custody, Bianchi hatches this ridiculous insanity defense. He claims multiple personality disorder, as it was called at the time. Um, this was something that was very popular at the time due to movies like Sybil. Um, but it is a very rare condition uh, that's now called dissociative personality disorder. So it's obvious to the police he's full of shit. He comes up with this alter ego he named Steve. Um, and one cop actually wrote bullshit in his notes when he was doing the interview. I don't know, Jeff, did you see any of that video of him doing that with the two ego, the alter ego thing? Uh, no, I've watched a couple of videos and documentaries, but I didn't see the film on that. Yeah, it's pretty funny because it's so bad. You know, he he's trying to be bad convincing actor. big time. I mean, he's trying to be like this other person. But he sounds exactly the same. His mannerisms are the same. His speech is the same. It's just very, very fake. And, and it was so obvious to them that he, uh, he was full of shit. Now, I got to meet and talk with a true crime author and a University of Illinois professor on serial murder. I uh, mentioned uh, Stephen Giannangelo at the Dark History and Horror Convention. Super cool guy. Jeff, he has got an unbelievable Gacy collection that would make you very jealous. Um, <laughs> dude, he's got uh, Pogos. He's got uh, the kit that Gacy used when he painted in prison, uh, those iconic pictures. So very cool wow. stuff. Yeah, he used to be a, a investigator with the Illinois State Police. He was also part of an FBI terrorism task force very interesting he's got a book that's that's great and i got a chance to talk to him so i'm going to play this clip from that interview so you guys can check this out because we i did ask him directly about the hillside strangler so check this out yeah uh we're also doing um uh, the Hillside Stranglers, which is, of course, a well-known yes. case. I love Kenneth Bianchi and Bono. I think they're very interesting. Yeah, yeah well, of course, no to our heritage, though. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, you got to give Italian serial killers a little extra. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I can say, when I was studying a, a clinical psych before I moved into a forensic psychology, uh, I, I saw some interviews with Kenneth Bianchi when he was being supposedly hypnotized and his malingering and his faking oh, about he was that, trying to say he had the multiple right he, he said he was steve maybe you knew me but he said he said he was steve uh you know but it, he didn't change any of his uh, yeah he was know, just fake you know but but the guy that was interviewing him the first time he was a multiple personality guy he saw multiple personality and everything however another guy came along and said i don't think so because and right. they managed to get past that but a fascinating story it was yeah. a long time ago oh it was but you know it was still fascinating story. oh yeah and the thing with multiple personality you know a lot of people have this belief that it's a very widespread thing it's actually a very rare very rare because very it's rare. a lot of times it's bogus it's not true right but you know there's been some famous cases like sybil right and of course the billy milligan case in ohio i right. found very interesting i've actually i mean i've been exposed to a couple of uh, multiple personality cases i mean it's certainly a problem it's an issue that you have to learn to live well, with sure. it. but there are some that learn to live with that that actually right. learn to actually deal with all the different personalities but again Faked a lot, right. uh, definitely rare, absolutely. Right. Yeah. yeah, and the Billy Milligan case I found interesting because he actually raped a woman. As a 
So, yeah, Jeff, you definitely would have liked that guy. Very interesting and a lot of knowledge about serial murderers uh, as a professor at that. Um, so uh, he believes Bianchi's full of shit about the defense. Um, so Bianchi now decides to change gears uh, to avoid the death penalty, he agrees to testify against his cousin, uh, Angelo Bono. The trial of Bono went on for a year and at the time was the longest running trial in California history. Uh, Bianchi was on the stand for six months uh, and difficult to deal with. I can't even imagine that uh, as he kept changing his story. Um, he, I thought it was funny. One of the detectives on the case said Bianchi was telling them, quote, I can live out my dream by being a detective and help you guys solve the case. So, <laughs> Jeff, this, this sounds like a fucking shit show here with this guy. I mean, six months on the stand. I couldn't even imagine having to listen to him going on and on about all this bullshit. Yeah, well, they have to go for each victim. That's why it takes, takes so long. Besides the fact that he's just nuts. Right, yeah, because you got that many victims. Like you said, you got almost have like 12 trials or 13 or however many victims there were, or 10 in this case. Now, they charged Bono with 10, convicted him of nine of them um, at the conclusion of the trial in 1983. Uh, he's given life and later dies of a heart attack at the Calipatria prison in 2002, uh, Kenneth Bianchi pled guilty to the 10 murders in California and the two in Washington and got life in both states for his crimes. Uh, the police believe that he did most of the killing while Bono was the one that raped the victim. So just as you said, Jeff, um, as sick as it was, they typically did this at the same time, suffocating the victims as they were being raped. So absolutely fucking awful. Uh, Bianchi is still alive uh, in the Washington State Prison in Walla Walla. He claims he was innocent of these crimes. Now, Jeff, this is about as despicable as, as it gets. But what is your thought about the way uh, these two got justice or do you think that they did? Mm, I would say they both needed to be executed, <laughs> but at the same time, I like to write serial killers. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. I've never done that before, and I know this is definitely a conversation for another day. But you said that you had had uh, quite a bit of correspondence with Richard Ramirez, right? Oh yeah, I wrote him quite a while. He was a a strange one. I mean, the, the last day that I was writing him, he was wanting me to take pictures of women's feet. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, he has a bunch of weird stuff, but he also, he was, he was evil in one way, and in another way, he was just a normal person. He liked to watch Batman and superhero movies, and you think to yourself, how does this guy get to watch superhero movies? When he's right. Like, 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 you know what I mean? Yeah, right. Sort of looking, what kind of justice is that? Now, were you sending him your art, too, or was he just sending you his? No, he just sent me his. Oh, and wow. It was just one. It was just one, actually. He wasn't drawing no more, and I asked him a couple times, and he sent me a drawing of Daffy Duck. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> and, now, well, and then Gacy, uh, I wrote to him five years, and I never once thought about asking for artwork. And then after he was executed, then I thought about it. So I've had my chance to get artwork from him, but 
I oh, just wow. never did think about it. Interesting, interesting. Well, definitely we'll have you on when we do uh, Ramirez for sure, and I'm sure eventually we will get to him. Now, this one, it, Jeff, as if this story wasn't fucked up enough, a very strange twist in this one that I read online, and I did get a chance to check it out. I think it's legit. Um, because I did see it in a book that I that I use quite often from Dr. Peter Vronsky, which I'll mention here in a minute. But it claimed that Bianchi started a relationship with this woman, Veronica Compton, in 1980. So this would have been after he's incarcerated. Um, she testified on his behalf at the trial. Uh, she was later convicted of attempting to murder a woman in California at a hotel, uh, strangling her to make it appear as if the hillside strangler was still on the loose and the wrong man was in prison. Bianchi smuggled his own semen from prison to her in like the finger of like a rubber glove, it said, um, so that she could place it on the crime scene. And uh, they thought that if she killed the victim like he would have and left his semen on the scene, the cops would think he was still out there. I thought that was really odd. It made no sense to me. But but then I read that, you know, at the time, DNA wasn't what it is now. So all they would have been able to do is get a blood type. So they figured that they would think it was still him out there. I It's fucking crazy. But as if that wasn't fucked up enough, after she goes to prison, she befriends another serial killer, Doug Clark, the Sunset Boulevard killer who murdered seven women himself. And eventually she gets paroled in 2003 and is currently working in L.A. as a writer, artist, and musician. So, Jeff, what the hell? I'd never even heard of that before. And I read that and I thought... On Wikipedia, I thought, there's no way. But when I saw it in this book by Dr. Vronsky, it's legit. I mean, that is just fucking nuts. That is just nuts. I can't believe it. Yeah, I mean, to think that somebody would actually think that that would work. But, you know, this guy wasn't playing with a full deck like we know. Um, anything, Jeff, you want to add about the Hillside Stranglers? I know you did a little little documentary watching yourself but anything i glazed over you wanted to talk about uh no i think you covered most of it i mean i can't really think too much on them because i, I just recently watched the documentary but it seems like you cover more than i know that's for sure all right. Well, that's good. Now, my research for this episode was done with a variety of documentaries on these two, uh, plus a few different podcasts I've heard over the years. Uh, the book I mentioned by Dr. Peter Vronsky, Sons of Cain, is also a great resource I've been using a lot. And he has several references to Bianchi and Bono in there. I've also mentioned Dr. Vronsky's book, Serial Killers, The Method and Madness of Monsters. Uh, it's fantastic. And uh, uh, that book references them multiple times. So there's quite a bit out there if you dig into it with these two pieces of shit if you want to find out more about them. Now, next time we're going to be featuring a look back on Carla Faye Tucker. Uh, that's the one we covered in episode 60 but our buddy Tex, uh, the prison guard in uh, Texas, wants to weigh in on that case. 
So you'll hear the first episode of what we're calling Brutal Rewind exclusively from Shaker's Cigar Bar in Milwaukee. The Brutal Rewind shows are short episodes on a topic we've already discussed, but wanted to revisit and give some new info. Uh, or some new perspective on that topic. So uh, we're going to also post next week, as I mentioned, the Tony Campagno of Spellbound Effects and Art. Um, He's amazing. We're going to have that interview on there as well. So thank you, Jeff, uh, for for sitting in here with us. What is the latest of what you've been working on? Because I see you all the time on Facebook selling your wares. So what you been up to? Well, I'm, right now I'm doing a lot of five by seven ink drawings, and I sell those on uh, Facebook. And uh, I've, I've got uh, a wood carving of uh, Frisch's Big Boy, but it's got like three eyes. It looks sort of fucked up. I'm selling those. Oh I've wow! I've got uh, a couple of album album covers coming out. Uh, I'm doing logos. Everything that I do, I, I put on Facebook. My, my uh, personal page and my business page and uh, I'm, I'm easy to find you just look up my name <laughs> yeah i was gonna say is that the best way for people to get you is on facebook unfortunately right now it is my website's down for temporarily okay so well facebook is best way yeah and you do a lot of live stuff too like we actually show people what you're doing and stuff i think that's really cool yeah, I, I do it, but I don't necessarily enjoy doing it that much. <laughs> I know. I, I was like going to say, you don't like doing cameras and videos and stuff like that. No, and I don't. I just don't. I, something about it, I just don't care for. But yeah. if someone asked me to do it, I'd do it because people are interested in seeing me draw and shit like that. Right. So I do it for. I, I do it for fans, basically. Sure, sure. Well, I know that this is definitely something that would be a little outside your comfort zone. So I do really appreciate you doing this, Jeff. Always good to talk to you, my friend. And we'll have to do another interview with you sometime in the near future because it's always fun to talk to you and to spread the word because you know you and i have been working together now it's crazy to think it's been about 20 years but it has been that long i know uh doing the low 12 album covers and the heavy core stuff and so we've got a a long history and of course you did the murder metal mayhem logo and it looks great so always good to talk jeff and so appreciate you coming on I hear that familiar intro music. It's got to be CK. He's ready to deal some metal knowledge again. So let's get our fucking metal on. Known the world over as the master of metal, the crusher of posers, and murder metal mayhem's knower of all things metal, hailing from Wild Man Street in Danbury, Connecticut, Standing at six feet of brutal, punishing madness, weighing in at 220 pounds of poser pulverization. The one, the only, toughest bastard on the planet, Chris C.K. Comex! All right, speaking of the great metal motherfucker, got CK on Messenger. What's going on, dude? Yo, what's up, Pete? What's going on? Oh, man, I'm just fucking busy here, dude. With Chris gone, (laughs) I've got double duty. I'm fucking answering calls. I'm fucking cooking (laughs) dinner. I'm fucking, I'm like doing every fucking thing, man. It's fucking (laughs) crazy, man. 
Oh, and I'm writing well, a book. Just... I'm writing a book too, by the way. You know, in my, in my free time. <laughs> so well, I think this is the last week, anyways. Yeah, it is. It is. We got a couple of bonus weeks, and then Chris will be back at the helm again with me. So definitely weird today because I started out here in the studio completely by myself last week. Jenny was at least sitting out here with me when I did the intro, but this time I was by myself. It seemed very odd trying to talk engaging when you're sitting here alone is kind of weird so i was talking to gacy and the wall across from me so <laughs> so at least he's keeping you company he is his in ed gein and of course cck so yeah i was gonna say that yeah I took a selfie with cck to feel like i wasn't by myself in here so <laughs> But anyway, CK, good to have you on, dude. Uh, we're on episode 78, just fucking crushing it. Jeff Gaither did a great job, and now I'm handing the ball off to you, and you're going to talk about some hardcore shit tonight. So what do you got for us, buddy? Yeah, we're going to talk about the Lower East Side Band, former 1980 Agnostic Front. Um, my yeah. favorite hardcore band, the first hardcore band I was into, Um like I said, they were, they were formed in 1980 by Vinny Stigma. Um, Vinny's real name is Vincent Capuccio. Um, formed, formed in 80. Um, the band's been through a, a lot of members, so I'm not going to go through it. And it's just the way it was back, the way it was with New York Hardcore is kind of revolving door. Right. Um, you know, it's just band members that come and go, go to different bands. Um, help out. So, so there's like, I think I counted 25 band members in a 35 year career. Oh wow! Um, they had a couple lead singers before they finally, before they finally uh, settled on Roger Barrett, and it's been him and Roger Barrett as the constant since 1982. Um, Roger, I mean, formed a bass player for a band called the Psychos, another New York hardcore band. Um. And eighty-two, eighty-three, they recorded a classic, classic seven-inch called United Blood. Um, and I had it on a seven-inch, and I kicked my ass because I sold it, and now it's worth like four, four hundred bucks. Oh shit! Um, if you have it, you know. So, kick myself in the ass for that one. Um, that, and after that, they followed it up with with. Um, Victim and Pain, the first full length. And both those albums were, were strictly hard, hardcore albums. They weren't anything like that. Strictly hardcore, fast hardcore, um, just classic hardcore albums. Um, in 86 or 85, Combat Records formed a new imprint called Combat Core. And one of the first signings was um, Agnostic Front. Um, the first album for combat was Cause for Alarm, which to me is the beginning. I'm not going to say it, it's a crossover album, but, but, but it was the beginning, of, I believe, of the crossover scene. Okay. And if you remember from, and if you remember from my New York Hardcore, um, when, I, when I did the segment on New York Hardcore, at that time, Metal... metal Metal heads and, and hardcore people did not 
get along too well. Right. It was a lot of so fights there, there, and shit going on. Yeah, there, there was a strict demarcation line between hardcore and metal at that time. And if you're a metalhead and you went to a hardcore show, you skate out of the way. You did not get in the pit because for sure, if you had long hair and you were known as a metalhead, some of you would take a cheap shot, kick you in the head, um, right. punch you. You just stayed in back. You watched the show. You didn't get involved. And if you were lucky, you stayed out of fights. And um, that's just the way it was back then. And I think the metalheads were more accepting of hardcore than and vice versa at the time. I would agree. I remember seeing at Tide Change, I, I'll never forget playing a show at Streets in New Rochelle, New York um, with my former band, and I remember seeing people mosh, and I was like, what the fuck are they doing? Because I had never seen that at a metal show before, and that's when I noticed it, um, at least in my world, which would have been, you know, you talk in 85, 86 when I started when I started to see it at metal shows and I thought it was weird yeah, because it was a hardcore thing. It was a punk thing. It wasn't yeah, wasn't de- metal. Definitely hardcore you know? and punk, yeah. But um cause for alarm, they, they actually went out and recruited Louie from, from the Thrash Band Carnivore, which was Pete Seal's old band. Right. Because they wanted they wanted a metal drummer. They wanted they wanted somebody who could play drums that sound like metal that that had the double kick and right. all that. So they went out purposely get that drums for that sound. Um, a lot of their fans fucking that album the first came out cause for alarm. They thought it was too metal. Um, as far as I was concerned, I, I thought it was a hardcore album. I thought it was the beginning of of what 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 could be crossover because you could tide start to change and they continue that trend with um, Liberty and Justice in 87 and One Voice in 92 uh, 92 they they, 92, they they took a hi- hiatus broke up for a couple years four years I believe um, 96 they got back together um, started doing shows Again, it was Vinny Stigma and Roger Moret as the core of the band. Um, but along, but around, I, got, I also got to say around 1988, they also started a band called Madball, which they had Freddie Cretion, who is Roger Moret's younger brother, at 12 fronting. Um, it was a side project. Now, now it's a full-time band with Freddie. Um, Christian, that 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 is his band now, um, and he's on his own. And and Madball has gone on and and become their own thing. And, and yeah, for sure. Another great hardcore band. Um, another band that that's probably crossover scene as well. But um, they went on hiatus, came back in '96, did some reunion shows. I actually saw a couple of the reunion shows in '96. Um. Signed with Epitaph Records, and they signed a three-year deal, a three-album deal with Epitaph. And if nobody knows what Epitaph Records is, it's the Blade in Southern California, uh, founded by Brett Gerowitz from Bad Religion. Um, so it, it's it's a hardcore punk label, and you saw kind of at that time Gnostic Front go back to their hardcore roots. 
abandoned, kind of abandoned the, the, the crossover element to them. Um, they put out Something's Gotta Give in 98, which was actually produced by Billy Milano from SOD and MOD. Um, and they put out in 99, Riot, Riot Upstart, which was which was a definitely hard punk um, album produced by Lars Fredrickson from Rancid. So he did, they definitely, I think the label and producer definitely had an influence on that one. And along with Dead Yuppies um, in 2001, which is the last album they recorded for Epitaph. Um, took a little break from 2001 to 2004. Um, 2003, they signed with Nuclear Blast. And you saw start to go back into their more crossover harder with a metal element um, another voice which was to me a comeback album fucking great fucking album if, if, if it was definitely a follow up to one voice their last album for um, Combat Core um, they followed that up 2001 with My Life My Way and 2015 with the American Dream died. Um, all those three records, great fucking records, heavy as hell, fast, hardcore. And just this past year in 2019, they put out one of the best albums that I've heard in a long time by them. Get loud. Um, it's just a it's just a freight train. It just starts and it does not stop until the end, and it just rolls right over you. Fuck yeah! Um, you know you get you got to give these guys credit. They're go it's thirty five. It's going on thirty five years that they've been together. Uh, Vinny's six now. Uh, I believe Roger Moret's like fifty five, fifty six. Um, still going strong. It's amazing, um, man. Still, still touring. Um, Roger Moret, he just. He's just he, he can't he can't sit still. He's he's always doing something. He actually he's the one who actually manages the band. He books the band. Um, no outside help. He does it all himself. Wow. The guy had a heart attack like a couple of years ago. He's got some implant in his heart to monitor it, and he's still kicking ass. <laughs> Fuck yeah, man. Um, you know, so you got these guys credit. They're still going strong. You know, they're still putting out great stuff. Um, and if anybody's interested, they had they kind of put out a documentary in 2015 called The Godfathers of Hardcore. One of the best documentaries I've seen um, in a while. It's up there with um, the Pentagram documentary. And, and, uh, and, and, um, you, know, you know, I love that Pentagram great, documentary, dude. That's, that's an awesome documentary. It's this amazing. This one is is a really good documentary if you want if you want to get into uh, Mac Master. Is it as I'm good as good the in... is it as good as the Thor documentary though? No, nothing is as good as the Thor documentary. <laughs> dude, that thing I'm was so fucking a joke. I'm so glad I got to watch that with you, dude. That was so fucking ridiculous. <laughs> that was the most ridiculous <laughs> shit I've ever seen, man. Wow. And the guy took himself so fucking oh, serious. Oh, I know. It was so absurd, man. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's fucking cool, man. Uh, I don't know much about them, I'll admit. 
Not a big hardcore guy. I do like some of the hardcore influence bands like Propane, of course, uh, Anthrax, and bands that kind of de- delve into that. Uh, but not as not a pure hardcore guy myself. But I do like the hardcore metal crossover stuff. Some of it I do dig. So that's uh, that's fucking cool. And like you said, they're the godfathers of it, man. That's where it started. So pretty amazing. Yeah, they're they're um. Definitely my favorite hardcore band. One of my favorite bands of all time. Um, Fuck yeah. But um, yeah. So so, if if anybody wants to get into um, Agnostic Front, um, start. I would start with um, Cause for Alarm, and and cause and there's a version of Cause for Alarm with um, with the um, Victim in Pain and Cause for Alarm on one CD. Okay. And there's also a standalone Victim in Pain with the United Blood EP CD um, put out a couple of years ago by Bridge Nine to celebrate the 25th anniversary of it. Nice. So um, most of, most of the stuff is still available on on physical copies. I believe all of it is available in digital. Um, so it's around. Check them out. Very cool, dude. Now you've got a uh, Lost Classic this time for us, CK. Yes, um, a band called Focus. I mean, a band called um, Cynic with the album called Focus. Um, the band is Cynic and the album is Focus, you said? You broke up a little bit. Yes, yes. band is Cynic, the album's called Focus. Okay. And it, 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 it contains two <laughs> members who played in death for a while, Paul Massadivill, I can't pronounce his last name, and um, Sean, Sean Reinhardt. Um, prog- very progressive um, death metal. Um, different from probably anything that, that's ever been out there for death metal. Um, still available. Um, to put out three albums. All three albums are still available, physical and digital. Um, get a chance to check them out. Fuck yeah, man. Always like to hear those lost classics from you. Um, now, uh, the 666 Club, CK, we've been talking about it. Uh, people can go to patreon.com slash murder metal mayhem to join it. Uh, three bucks a month. They get the shows a day early, the episode notes, they get discounts on merch. I'm also going to give them a month out of the list of the killers that we're going to talk about. So that is just one hell of a deal for three bucks a month. So People got to get into that 666 club or or they're going to have CCK to deal with because don't need yeah, any no. of that, man. He gets fucking mad. Don't piss him off. No, not at all. Now, some national metal news, CK, I've been seeing in my uh, Facebook feed. Fucking King Diamond is on tour, man. I I didn't go because it was a weeknight and I just, I, it's Chicago. Yeah, I hate played, fucking going yeah, up there. Yeah, played Chicago last night, I believe. Yeah, I know people that went. And the pictures and video look fucking amazing, but I I was not there. I'm kind of partially regretting it, but also it's just getting to that age where fuck, I gotta yeah. I gotta really want to go to a show to deal with it. It fucking tears my ass up. It's um, yeah. I think if he played, either played or he's playing around in New York and Mass, but I just can't. I just can't do it. Yeah, I'm not up to it. Now, any other uh, any other national like releases or news or anything you wanted to put out, CK? 
nothing really going on. You got next week, um, you got title decapitation. You also have Terrorizer coming out with a new um, live album in the next couple weeks. Cool. Um, as far as that, there's really nothing going on. I mean, for the holidays, usually it's just compilation albums. Right. For the holidays. Um, there's really nothing going on until the beginning of the year. Okay. And um, the only thing I know that that's coming out, for, I think January, February is New, New King Diamond. Right, right. Um, now, locally, we got that Blood Feud album. We had those guys in here last week. That album, Disgust, uh, coming out of 49 Records on November 30th. And they're doing an album release party with Goremonger, a bunch of people, at the Night Shop in Bloomington, Illinois, November 30th. So go check that out. Support some local metal. Of course, local uh, for a show like this, we do worldwide. But I'm based in central Illinois, so when I say local metal, that's what I'm talking about. But uh, always uh, always good to support the local guys. So um, definitely, yes. definitely giving them plenty to chew on this week, CK. And I know you said you were going to stick around into the next segment. So uh, what do we need to do then, my friend? We need to get our mayhem on, motherfuckers. Are you a serial killer couple in need of some relationship counseling? Call us today at 1-800-KILLERS-NEED-HUGS-2. Okay, so let me get this straight. You're Edmund Kemper, the guy who skull-fucked his own mother, right? Well, yeah, I mean, if you want to be so vulgar about it, I mean, she was dead, you know. Okay, and you are Herbert Mullen, the guy who thought killing people would save the state of California? Uh, yeah, man, you got the doses over there, man. There you go again, Herbie. Always turning on the acid instead of talking about your feelings. I hate you. Now, that's not very productive, Edmund. Why do you hate Herbert? It's just the way he killed his victims. I mean, stringing up intestines and tree branches. That's just sick. Oh, yeah, man. And throwing darts at your mom's head was any better? You skull fucker, man. <laughs> Here you go again, Herbie, bringing up the past. That's all you do is bring up that stuff and throw it in my face. Why do I even bother? Gentlemen, please, this isn't getting us anywhere. Wait, Edmund, you threw darts at your mother's head? Call us at 1-800-KILLERS-NEED-HUGS-2, and we can help you sort out your complicated serial killer relationships today. Hi, CK, little uh, Killers Need Hugs 2 commercial. You were a part of that. That was fun. <laughs> yes, I was. <laughs> and then before that, of course, a magnostic front, uh, spray-painted walls, so definitely throwing the fuck down uh, through the metal segment with you. And now we uh, keeping you on here through the mayhem uh, since Chris is still on special assignment. And when he gets back, he said he was going to tell people a little bit more about his very special assignment. So I'll let him do that. But uh, it should be should be interesting. And we'll get everybody up to snuff because they've been asking if he's doing OK and if he's all right. He's totally fine. Uh, I've 
talk to him. Uh, and again, he's on a special assignment. And when he gets back, we'll, uh, we'll explain. Now, CK, I know last couple weeks I haven't done any mayhem stories only because uh, we had so much business to tend to. I really didn't want to bog it down with a bunch of crazy long stories, but I feel the need to tell just a couple of stories, uh, short stories that have to do with one common theme. So, and we've done bodily excrements here quite a few times, right? I mean, you, yeah, you yes. you've provided some good gems for us. And so I, for my Oscar bag and my fucking, yeah. Losing it at the restaurant. Yeah. So I figured it was my turn to, to, to do that with some good puke stories. So it's a good couple of good ones here. Uh, there's a lot of these. Um, I've told some of the puke stories. I know when we talked about the, the black and curly, a uh, friend of mine who uh, who ate some vomit in a car and, oh, yeah. and you know fucking ate the frozen uh, vomit ate ate the puke in my puke frozen on a <laughs> stick. So if you missed any of that, it's some of the early episodes I talked about this. But but anyway, I remember a few different just funny shorter ones. But I remember we were at a party one time at Black and Curly's house before we had our apartment. So he was still living with his dad. And uh, we used to have parties there all the time on Fridays and Saturdays. And uh, anyway, we were there one time on a on a, a Friday, Saturday night. And there was a guy there that was older than us. He was like a class in front of us. And so he was there and we were hanging out and doing playing quarters. And he was getting fucked up. I mean, people were fucking him up. And he was losing and he was drinking a lot. And he was a pretty big guy. And I remember just suddenly he jumps up from the table and starts running out the back door. And uh, where his house was, um, was like a cobblestone kind of decorative uh, floor to a patio. And so this dude went out the back door and all of a sudden you just heard a huge splash. It sounded like you took like a 55-gallon drum of water and just dumped it on the patio. It was fucking nasty. He came back in the house totally covered in puke with his oh, God. with his hands out and it was like dripping in his fingers. It was fucking nasty. And somebody was like, "What the fuck did you do?" And he said, "I tried to catch it, man, but I couldn't." <laughs> I was like, dude, you tried to catch it. I mean, look at well, you. How was you trying to catch I it? I don't fuck. He was so fucked up. He didn't know what was going on. You're fucking outside. Just puke. I know. It was ridiculous. So so that was one. Another one, I remember we were at somebody else's house uh, partying, and uh, it was like a, a bunch of us stayed the night. And I remember one guy got up to uh, puke, and... Uh, he got up and he thought he was puking in the toilet, but he was actually puking in their clothes hamper. So <laughs> he he went back and laid down on the floor and was crashed out. And this fucking guy's mom who, who owned the house just fucking came unglued, fucking screaming and yelling about who the fuck puked in the hamper. And <laughs> oh, it, was, it was nasty. <laughs> Yeah, it just fucking oh, puked God. all over the fucking hamper. Yeah, it was pretty fucking gross. So, oh God. So yeah. Gnarly. So yeah, there's a bunch of those good gems there. Some funny puke stories that I thought people would would like to hear. So, 
All right, a little update on the Murder Metal Mayhem book. Uh, CK, I know you've seen some of this stuff. The coffee table book that should be nowhere near a coffee table is just about done. Jenny is finishing up the layout right now. She is in the middle of moving, so it is extremely hectic around here, but she's almost done. I did do one word search, a serial killer word search, and a Murder Metal Mayhem crossword puzzle, so generic to the podcast. And there's so much stuff in this book that I didn't think I needed to do more. So we've got a word search. We've got a crossword puzzle, CK. We got stuff to color. I mean, some of the stuff Dathan did, you've seen it. Uh, the oh, one, yeah, it's killer stuff. Yeah, the ones you picked, the Mike Portnoy, uh, Tony Iommi, Bruce Dickinson, really good stuff, man. Looks really fun. cool. Looks really cool. Um, I had him do a black and curly picture, a plate of food, and we're doing a contest. And whoever counts the correct number of black and curlies on the plate and sends their answer to an email address, you will win a big prize. All right? You're going to get a bunch of shit. And so you have to be the first one, though, to answer it. And so once the book comes out, we'll see who does that first and probably have some runner-up prizes. But the number one person will get a nice prize, probably hook them up with a shirt, koozie, autograph picture, uh, everything we've got, basically. So I might even throw in a book or two, uh, really make it worth it. So you guys are definitely going to dig this. And then CK, we each wrote an article or section we divided it up yep. just like the show, right? Murder, Metal, and Mayhem. Yep. And an intro and an outro and the whole thing. So we think you guys are going to like it. And uh, artwork from Dathan Angle, he did a great job. So we're hoping to have this thing wrapped up by Thanksgiving so the order can go out to the printer and have them here well before Christmas. So stay tuned for that because we're going to do some pre-orders and we'll do a perk if you order it in advance. I've not figured that out yet, but we'll figure it out. And so uh, a lot of good stuff in there. Some pictures to color, word search, crossword puzzle, all dis- disgusting, perverted, and murder metal An adult activity book. That's right. That's right. Uh, I love the Joe Matheny picture he did, though, that you get to color. So that's Yeah, that funny. was good. Yeah, Ricky Casso. They're all good, man. So uh, so I think you guys will dig it. Uh, Chris, of course, did the metal or I'm the mate. Uh, Chris did the murder segment. Uh, you did the metal and then I did mayhem. So it should be fun for everybody to check that out. So uh, we'll keep you posted. Now, at the Dark History and Horror Convention, we had a chance to talk with Christopher St. Booth. Uh, he's a filmmaker, producer, writer of horror and paranormal Uh, You might have seen the work he's done with his brother as the Booth Brothers or Spook TV on the Sci-Fi Channel. Um, I got a little five-minute clip of that interview, and we talk about some really interesting experiences that he's actually had on the set filming a movie at a haunted insane asylum. So check this out, this uh, short interview clip with Christopher St. Booth. You guys have done a lot of different, you know, stories, obviously. What's the one that sticks with you? Is there one particular one well, we all that st- really hangs We lost our you? paranormal virginity, so, as, so to speak, to Death Tunnel, which is Wayville Sanatorium. And we didn't really, we did a one horror movie before that, 
down in Linda Vista Hospital, and we did think, did actually feel that we saw this little girl ghost running around, but we weren't really in the paranormal. But when we got down to Kentucky, Louisville, Louisville, Kentucky, and saw the sanatorium, supposedly, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of people died in that tunnel of death where they would wheel the bodies out. Right. We filmed the horror movie there. Oh, wow. So... And you thought you saw something? Oh, there. I did see oh, something. Did, okay, I caught it something. on. I caught it on a camera when oh, I was wow. scouting there. Yeah, it's actually in the documentary we did, Spook, because when we were down there making the movie, it was so beyond, the activity was so real. We were making a horror movie in a real haunted place, <laughs> but the activity came out on wow. the our film. I brought in another film crew into film us filming. Oh, wow. We made a documentary called Spook, The Ghost of Labor Sanatorium, and then Sci-Fi Channel bought that. Sony did the movie, and Sci-Fi Channel bought the documentary, and then after that we started you know, doing documentaries for the sci-fi. Oh show. wow! Now, so when did you do that? What were when? Two thousand and six. Okay. The movie, Death Tunnel, two thousand four. Spook two thousand six, and then we did Children of the Grave, and then we did. See, that's what I saw. Was the first dealings I had with you guys was that Children of the Grave documentary with those shadow people yes. in the wood line. That yeah. is freaky. It is freaky. And then that zombie road that you guys talk about on there with Well, the, the thing about shooting in a forest is haunted. <laughs> right. You can't get the out of there because in a house or an asylum, yeah, you, you can walk escape, out the door. But, yeah, but right. in a forest, kind of especially <laughs> six miles down, you right. gotta walk, you gotta, you know, three, it was like three miles in, three miles out. Yeah. You had to walk three miles out of here. Right. And he, so you couldn't just get the fuck out. Right. No, that so. freaked me out when I first saw that. And that's when I, my first, uh, thing I had ever seen that you guys did. I was like, wow, that's I remember really that just like yesterday and and I remember falling onto the bed on the hotel at, at the end of the day and going, wow, just wow. Yeah, because I, we searched for those shadow it. figures, yes. We shot those shadow figures and we couldn't find them until the end and it was the thermal image of you know, represent the exact image as the picture they send us. Yeah. And I but I also um, this is not in the show, but the EVPs we were getting were almost mechanical alien sounding. Really? They were like tones that went, da, 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 da. and I went, what the hell is that? Right before I would talk, so it would be what they'd go, da 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 da, and then you would hear me say, look over there, like it was referencing me to say the style and what wow. I was going to say, meaning to get away from where I was looking or give me a clue where to where look. At. But wow. either way, and that's why I started realizing that, you know, all these ghost hunting shows, they get all these children, shadow children, they call them shadow children, and they all seem to have big heads, if you've noticed, and all these, right. they call imps or whatever. And I said, why are they truly, why do they oh. want to think that they're a ghost? Because they could be an alien. Good they God. could be coming through the paranormal realm between your blinks, I mean, you blink, the things you are missing. I, I don't know the exact amount, but the scientific concept is that, that you're missing 15 minutes every day in your life every time in between your blink. blink. So imagine if something knew and could move oh, in between wow. your blinks or come out and get out. That's crazy. Oh, I've never heard that. That's that, is, that is. Yeah, it's true, that's though. Wow. It's actually true. Crazy. I've never heard So that's that. where the concept of, hey, I saw it out the corner of my eye. Uh, okay. And that's where Vortex, in another show, I actually caught a Vortex photo. You take a shot, take a shot, and, then, and a shot in the second photo is totally spinning. 
So the frame caught in between your blink, and that's where it happened, the whole room turned around. Wow. So, I mean, I love that kind of stuff because yeah, it's really fascinating cool. stuff. Fascinating. A lot better than just getting a cold spot by a, you know, a night right. vision ghost hunting right. camera, yeah. which is so overused now. It is, it is. It feels cold over here. No, I saw some <laughs> shit for real though. Yeah, yeah CK, he was well, a really cool guy, and it's weird hearing Chris in there because Chris of course has been on the special assignment but these last right. few shows I've been trying to put these little clips of him doing interviews with me so at least he is still part of everything that's going on here so uh, anyway uh, that's the guy I bought the exorcism kit from definitely a really cool guy uh, he's got a new book coming out I was thinking about maybe doing something with him on messenger sometime but that interview will play the whole thing uh, as a bonus episode here coming up soon, uh, maybe sometime in December. So, all right. So don't miss next week when we release the 32 minute interview I did with Tony Campagno of Spellbound Effects and Art. That turned out really good. I listened to the whole thing today. It was really great. Tony is such a nice guy, really funny, uh, very good personality. Um, now he's got this contest CK he's given away one of those severed forearms with a band logo on it um, if the band wins it he's got a special thing on his website <laughs> and he's going to explain it in the full interview so people that are interested can tune in next week it will be Thanksgiving it'll either be the day before or the day of Thanksgiving that it'll go live and uh, you can listen to it. And if you win the contest, you get the severed forearm with your band logo on it. How fucking cool is that? You can't uh, fucking beat that. No, not at all. Well, it's he's great sell- promotion. Great yeah, promotion tool. He sells those things for a couple hundred bucks on his website. Yeah. Now, he's got some cool runner-up prizes, too, like a severed foot or a hand. And then he's got some of the thumb drives. So... Tony has really given out some cool prizes with this, so you definitely want to hear that full interview next week. It's like 32 minutes long, just Tony and I, but it's very, very cool. Um, Now, don't forget, guys, pick up a copy of my new book, Creation of Chaos, Volume 2, 12 Ways to Make You Die. Uh, You can get that on creationofchaos.com. And with every order, I'll sign it, throw in a free bookmark, and posters while they last. Definitely one hell of a deal. Right now, I'm only doing U.S. orders. If anybody outside the U.S. wants one, just contact me, and I'll let you know what the shipping is. But the outside the U.S. shipping is just outrageous, and it's just hard to predict which country they're wanting to send it to because they're all over the place. Yeah, Um, and some countries are... are it's tough to send shit to anyway. Oh, yeah. Well, I don't know if they'll get it. I had a guy order three of, uh, all three of the books. I sent them to Greece, and it was 60 bucks just to ship three books. Damn. It was fucking ridiculous. Um, now, uh, it's only 10 bucks plus shipping, so definitely a good deal. Nine short stories from me, plus a story from Angel Rosa, uh, one from Sue Rovins, and my granddaughter, Alex Crow. So it's definitely worth it, creationofchaos.com. And CK, I know you got a copy because you're my beta reader. You're the one that reads everything first, and uh, you're happy with the way it turned out? Yeah, I thought it came out great. Uh, Great cover art by um, Ashman 
Yeah, Joey, Joey Gormonger did a great job with the cover, man. Looks really cool. Real um, creepy looking, like uh, scary stories you tell in the dark kind of stuff. So, And all the stories are awesome, including the um, guest writers. Um, definitely go out and get it. Order it. It's, it's definitely worth the money. Fuck yeah. Thank you. Now, speaking of my writing, I've been talking about the uh, Deeper Than Dead illustrated novel that I'm working on with Brian Usual, the artist. Um, we've agreed to a contract involving this exciting new project that will be released in 2020 by Blunt Force Press. Uh, Brian is doing a full-color art piece for each of the 10 parts that I'm writing. Uh, the first part, of course, uh, 99 Steps, is in creation of chaos two and the other nine are being written right now. I just finished the second one working on the third. Uh, Brian is just starting the artwork. So this is going to blow some fucking minds. This thing is going to be crazy when it's done. Really excited about this project. Um, we're doing full size posters with this one. Uh, Brian and I are talking about doing t-shirts. We're going all out with this one. So Definitely, definitely want to keep your ears open for that project. So I'll keep you guys in the loop. Uh, CK got a killer cage match tonight, dude. Um, love doing those. Of course, that's when we get uh, people to give us some random numbers. And I got a list of 60 killers, a list of 60 objects they'll fight with in a cage to the death. And just to make things interesting, we throw in a variable in the cage. Those are pretty pretty funny last week's was good with uh, michael shaw back in a disturbed shirt after drinking a fifth of mccormick whiskey so it's kind of funny because he sent me a private message because uh, i think it was bone sauce said something about that he would have been motorboating uh richard speck's titties and mike Shawback said there will be no motorboating of speck's titties so so yeah he heard it so oh, shit. so thanks to listeners dan cyrus samantha reinhardt and holly holly joe ziggler for the random numbers this time around got a good one ck we got the shoe fetish slayer himself jerry brudos going up against ex-marine gone sadistic killer charles ng definitely an interesting matchup with these two um, now the objects this time, CK, kind of interesting. What do we got? You got a double-headed dildo and a fence post wrapped in barbed wire. Nice. We've had the double-headed dildo a few different times now, so <laughs> kind of funny. <laughs> that's a good one. It is a good one. And the fence post with barbed wire, I mean, that's fucking brutal, man. That's like Mad Max shit right there. Oh, yeah. That's so. like that's like ECW shit. Oh yeah, from that's the old true. Days. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> now I don't know if we're going to be able to keep these guys away from the double-headed dildo. We'll see. The variable though is interesting. We got eight flying squirrels with rabies. I'm not really sure what the fuck they're going to do, <laughs> but CK, what is your take on this fucking strange matchup? I don't know. It's it's going to be a good one. Um. I mean, just physically, those two are going to be pretty, you know, uh, physical because Brutus was a pretty big guy. Charles Eng wasn't very big, but he was good at martial arts. So, but he's a marine, and marines are fucked up. To, oh, I don't want to say fucked up to begin with, but they're, they're, they don't take no shit. So no, no, no. You no. have that. 
Yeah, for sure. So yeah, you oh. got a a tough Marine and uh, Jerry Brudos, like I said, pretty physical guy. So you know, matchup wise, it's I'm thinking fairly even. And you throw in the fence post with barbed wire and the double headed dildo. I don't fucking know. And the eight flying squirrels with rabies. I don't know what's going on with that. I mean, it's not like you're going to get rabies in five minutes. So, I mean, even if they're biting you, it's not really going to matter because you're dying in this cage, you know. So, I don't really know what the the flying squirrels are going to do. The squirrels aren't going to give a shit. They're just going to go after fucking both of them. Yeah, probably. So, so, that's what's going to happen with the squirrels. Um. I think Ains gonna take the fucking double deal and just start beating the shit out of Brutos with the, over the head. Yeah. And then just shove it up his ass. <laughs> <laughs> I it's very possible, man. Charles Zang's pretty tough, man. And Brutos, the shoe fetish slayer, you know, he might uh, be getting fucking you know, these squirrels biting him and shit, and then all of a sudden he's got uh Charles Zane coming at him with a fucking double-headed dildo very well might be over with before it even got started. So, But then, but then again, you know what? The scrolls could just fucking bite him to death and, and, and they both die and it's, it's a draw. It very well could be because, I mean, I, I wouldn't want one squirrel biting me, let alone fucking eight of them, man. That would be fucking, that would hurt. Yeah, I'm sure they could do some fucking damage. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, because they got claws and shit, so you definitely wouldn't want to be fucking with that. So, All right, well, we got an interesting one. I don't know. You guys can weigh in on this matchup because it is a strange one, but uh, always enjoy doing these. So thanks to the listeners who provided us the, the random numbers, and uh, I, think, uh, I think we've done some good mayhem here tonight, so let's move <laughs> on to the outro, dude. Yeah, yeah you can't beat a puke story. No, fuck no. Fucking dying fetus, man. Die with integrity. That is some brutal shit, CK. Wow. And metal. I think they're from Maryland. Yeah, yeah, they're from Maryland. They are. Yeah, just fucking melt your face off, man. Fucking sick. Now, big thanks to Jeff Gaither for sitting in on the murder segment tonight. Definitely want to support indie artists like Jeff and go to Facebook and check him out. That's where he is. Just uh, search Jeff Gaither, G-A-I-T-H-E-R. And I'm going to uh, link to him, of course, in the episode description. Of course, CK, thank you for sticking around tonight and keeping me company. No problem. With Chris on special assignment. But he's going to be back. Yeah, I know you do. And it's nice to have you around. I really appreciate all the guys that have been stepping in here while Chris has been out to uh, help keep the show moving along. So uh, he'll be back here in a couple of weeks. We've got two weeks of bonus episodes. Next week, uh, we mentioned that we're going to play the Brutal Rewind number one on Carla Faye Tucker. I'm also going to post the full interview with Tony from Spellbound Effects and Art. 
And then the week after that, uh, my fiance Jenny's having surgery on uh, Monday, and I'm going to be dealing with going back and forth to the hospital in Peoria uh, for a couple days, so I'm not going to be able to do the show. So we're going to play the full uh, interview that we did with Harold Schechter, which would be really cool. And I might do one of the other ones that we did at the Dark History Convention, like maybe the uh, Christopher St. Booth full article or uh, interview we did with him. So trying my best to give you guys plenty of content while we deal with a few personal things with the holidays and with her surgery coming up. So, But after that, Chris is back and uh, be back in business. Uh, we're doing the, uh, the guy that's admitted to 93 murders, uh, Sam Little. Very fucked up story. Uh, nationwide drifter killer. Uh, very fucked up, so that should be good. Uh, bumper and music. And as far, and as, far as music with metal, we're doing um, band I can't believe we haven't done yet, Motorhead. Yeah, that's fucked up that we haven't done Motorhead, but dude, we're just, we mix it up. I like the fact that we do some obscure, like we did Bolt Thrower, you know, we yeah. did Priest, we did Maiden and Ozzy and, and Dio and, and a lot of the, the, the icons, and then we've done some of the lesser known bands you know so i think yeah. that's cool so it, it, it's all good stuff yeah for sure now and this time if that's all you care about right right now uh the bumper music this time agnostic front testament and dying fetus uh ck your intro music by chrysix uh murder metal mayhem intro music by low 12 uh, as i mentioned check out spellbound fx and art.com for their incredible online catalog of silicone body parts, hands, feet, heads, dicks, and whatever else you desire. Tony has amazing Ed Gein-inspired stuff like human skin lamps, aprons, and more. He's making a lamp. I can't even fucking wait to get it here. Uh, so go support him now, spellboundeffectsandart.com. Uh, book your own ghost tour, seance, or take the Jeffrey Dahmer Cream City Cannibal Tour at Shaker Cigar Bar in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Definitely the most haunted bar in America. It's such a great place. Love that place. Hangmantours.com will get you there. It's only like just over three hours from us here in central Illinois. So, guys, go check it out. It's such a great place. Uh, definitely uh, go visit PsychoKillerBobbleheads.com. Go get yourself one of their awesome bobbleheads, or score a T-shirt, tell a Murder Metal Mayhem sent you, and they'll get your order out right away. So go support these sponsors. We really appreciate them. Uh, thanks to everybody out there listening. We appreciate that. Uh, continuing to dominate and see how many of you are getting your murder on each week is what kind of keeps this thing going. So despite being busy, you know how it is, CK, when you know people are digging it and they're listening, it makes us want to do it even more. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, yeah, definitely. I definitely agree. When people when people are digging what you're doing, you definitely want to give them a – you want to up the game a little each week. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to phone in one episode, man. I'm doing everything I can to make these things as good as possible, cram them full of good stuff. So even a, even a puke story or two, you know? <laughs> Now, uh, no, not at all. Now, uh, CK, you want to read the first uh, comment here we got? 
Sure. Larry555 commented, I'm not sure what the special assignment is, but I'm sure it will be a great story to hear when Chris returns. You've been doing a good show while he's been away, though. Fuck yeah. Thanks, Larry. That's uh, nice of you to say. It's been weird doing these shows without Chris here with me, but been doing the best I can. And like I said, I get some good friends that have been helping out and CK and and Tex and, and Gaither uh, have been just awesome. So appreciate it, everybody. Uh, the next one, Rachel Ray sucks tiny dicks. I love that one. Commented. That severed forearm you all have on the table is so awesome. I think I'm going to get a thumb drive for my boyfriend for Christmas. So, fuck yeah, man. Uh, go check out SpellboundEffectsInArt.com. I mentioned it. Uh, Tony's awesome. The thumb drives are great. They do work. Uh, it's actually a functioning thumb drive. And the severed forearms are amazing. All the shit is great. So... Thank you very much. Rachel Ray sucks tiny dicks. <laughs> I kind of uh, love that. Yeah. <laughs> CK? Robbie Wilson, Wilson said, this podcast is fucking the greatest thing ever. Whoever came up with the idea is genius. Fuck yeah, well, man. That'd be you. <laughs> well, thanks, Robbie. <laughs> thanks, CK. Yeah, I mean, I, I was, I'm part of this thing. I'm not the only thing here. Uh, that's for sure. There's three of us involved in this. But a lot of the early stuff was uh, somewhat my creation. So thank you, Robbie, for saying that. And it's, it's a great show because everybody that puts it together, it's certainly not a one-man project. If it was, then I wouldn't care about Chris not being here. But I do because I do think the show's better with him here and all of us doing it. But in his absence, I've done the best that I can to keep it going, and I'm sure that uh, that's what he wants. So, And he told me that. So, All right, Mary from Raleigh commented, I love your new book, Pete. The Wreath was such a good story. I can't wait to hear the audio version that you mentioned. Yes, thank you very much, uh, Mary. Uh, I do like that story, The Wreath. It is a Christmas story. It's very dark. I did do an audio version of it. It's just under an hour long, and that will play the week of Christmas. So perfect timing. You'll get to hear the wreath during Christmas week on here. Uh, you'll hear me read it. And CK, I know you read that story. Oh, hell yeah. I had to. Yeah. No, based on a real character, so. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's a very interesting character from back in our childhood in the yep. town that we grew up in. A guy that used to sell wreaths door to door and was very creepy and wreaths. strange. One by reef. And so I wrote, I wrote that story inspired <laughs> by him, and we've had a lot of good positive comments about it. So that's why I did the audio version of it. So hopefully you guys dig it. And I'm also going to do an audio version of the first Deeper Than Dead story, so you guys can check that out, too. I'll be doing that here uh, relatively soon. Uh, don't forget to check out MurderMetalMayhem.com to listen to all the podcasts, bonus episodes, all sorts of stuff. Also, go to the Murder Metal Mayhem YouTube channel and subscribe. Once Chris gets back, we're definitely going to catch up on some video stuff, so I haven't forgotten. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Get Your Murder On and like us on Facebook. 
Join the 666 Club and support the podcast on our Patreon page at patreon.com slash mayhem. And again, all of this stuff will be linked in the episode description. Uh, we definitely appreciate the support, so thank you all very, very much. Uh, you could go to creationofchaos.com if you want to pick up one of my books. I've got a brand new one out now, as I mentioned, Creation of Chaos Volume 2, 12 Ways to Make You Die, and that's got artwork by none other than Joey Gormonger. Uh, don't miss next week. We're going to feature our very first Brutal Rewind on Carla Faye Tucker, the axe-murdering bitch from Texas. And we got text to weigh in on that one. Um, I don't know, CK, if you had a chance to listen to the link that I sent you with that, but it's it's a good one. It's a very interesting conversation about death row in Texas and with the women. Very, very insightful. And text definitely gets a good insight yeah, Tex is really a fun guy, and I've known him for a very long time uh, since we were young guys, so uh, always good to have Tex on. And those Brutal Rewinds are brought to you exclusively by Shaker Cigar Bar, so you definitely are going to like this, I think. I did a new intro for it. Uh, CK, you heard the intro, right? Yeah, that's great. I love it. Cool. I love it. Thanks, thanks. Yeah, I threw in some rewind sounds and stuff. I think you guys will dig it. So we can't it's let him. Cool. We can't let him go though, CK, without hearing a new karaoke song. And I recorded one uh, just for the occasion. I thought that uh, you know it was fun. To, it's always fun to do a new song, and and since this was a California crime, I thought that uh, you know the uh, Hillside Stranglers would probably like this song, and maybe. The, Maybe they did, then they maybe they cranked it up. <laughs> so you guys need to check it out. So until next time, keep one foot in the gutter and your fist punching some poser in the fucking face. <laughs> that was good.